Welcome to Socialist Tuesday on So Organised Style Podcast. Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos. Thanks for coming back. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. A big sponsor shout out goes to our two podcast friends and sponsors. The Australian Sewing Guild, who has been our Monday Daily Series regular, is now a sponsor of Sew Organised Style Podcast. Go to ozsew.org to check out the online workshops, sew-alongs, skills library and more. Our second sponsor is Tatiana's School of Couture as she launches it online. Go to her website to see her new online sewing classes and patterns. Morning everyone and welcome back to today's episode of Socialist Tuesday on Sew Organised Style Podcast. Our podcast guest today is Gabby, the fit guru for the socialists, which is just fabulous. So let's welcome Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Maria. Lovely to meet you. It's so nice to meet you too. The blog posts that you put into socialists are so valuable that when you agreed to be on the podcast, I was just totally excited. So thank you for being here. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It was so kind of you to ask. I just love sharing knowledge. So for me, this is all a thrill. So where did you start your sewing knowledge journey? That sounds about right. I have always been surrounded by it. My mom sewed for us growing up. My grandmother sewed, my great-grandmother quilted. So it's been just a force in my life. And then I wanted to go to art school. So I ended up going to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York, and I studied fashion design. My thesis was in costume design because it's, you know, there's a storytelling element that I really respond to. Yeah. And then after college, I ended up working for a tailoring professor of mine who had her own pattern making studio. I fell into technical design. It wasn't something that I had even known of as a career choice before. She had several larger clients at the time, uh, catalogs, you know, new startup businesses by socialites or whoever, a lot of hype, that kind of thing. And they need patterns made and braid rules written and all kinds of things. So that's kind of where I got my feet wet on the technical aspect of things. So that's technical design is what you're describing. Yeah, so technical design itself is, uh, it's purely in ready-to-wear apparel manufacturing. It's, uh, I don't know that there's an equivalent in pattern design so much because what you really are is the liaison between your actual designer and your factories overseas. Okay. So you are the person who's responsible for understanding the designer's vision of what their garment should be or what their collection is. And then communicating that to your factory so they can get the fit exactly right, the construction exactly right. And then you document the process the whole way along. That's called a tech pack. And that becomes your contract with the factory to make their production run of whatever the agreed upon style is. Great. That's a lot of detail to be able to talk between the two parties. Yes, absolutely is. I feel like the the most successful technical designers are the ones who are good at communicating because you have to talk to so many people just to achieve your one single vision and people who English might not be their first, second, or even third language. Yeah. So you really have to be able to be open about your communication style and good at listening. And then also on the other end from when you're listening to your factories, taking that back to your designer and saying, I know you wanted this, but this is what we can really achieve. 
Mm. You know, how to facilitate that compromise or maybe something's too expensive. Sorry, I know that you wanted this uh, clear elastic in the shoulder seams, but it's too much. So is there something else that we can do? How do we work on this? So you are the point person between all that stuff, as well as being the person who fits the garments on your fit models and then tells your factories all of the changes and corrections and measurements and grade rules. So it's pretty intense. It is intense and a lot of negotiation as well. Yes. And it's constant. It's a back and forth. And, you know, sometimes when things get approved, you just think to yourself, oh, thank God I don't have to look at this anymore. But then other times you're really, really happy that you came to a good conclusion. But, you know, it's again, in ready to wear, especially if you're working for a larger company, you're constantly monitoring online reviews to make sure that people like the fit, that they like Mm -hmm. the product. And if they don't, you know, what do you need to change for next time if the style gets reordered? So it's always, you have to use a lot of foresight and hindsight at the same time. Hmm. I feel like that it incorporates storytelling in a way that people don't really understand if you aren't there because you're starting with the designer's vision, like, okay, this is where she's going. This is where I think it is. This is the the vibe of the whole thing. And then you, when you're in your fittings, you're saying, okay, well, so this is the vibe, but where else could she wear this? Is she wearing Crocs? What kind of shoes is she wearing? Yeah. You know, like, is she rolling the sleeves up? Can you fit an iPhone in the pocket? Can she move to give somebody a hug? Do we think that this is a hugging type of dress or is this a wear to work where she doesn't really need that much mobility and we can make it look really chic and slim? Wow. So you're, you're constantly thinking in the future about what could this garment possibly be And then after it goes into production and people have purchased it, you're reading the reviews to see, oh, did we overshoot the mark? Or is this perfect? Does she love it? You know, so you're constantly thinking about your consumer in this way of like, she becomes kind of a mythical creature, you know, (laughs) or making something for her or him or whoever your customer is at the time. I think it's amazing that you also look at the feedback so that you can go ahead and use that for the next product. Yes, always, always. I moved to Denver to spend more time with my family. I do some freelance here and there, but I spend most of my time now sewing for myself and spending time with those guys. So I don't do a whole lot of the, you know, office 24-7 thing anymore, which is a huge relief. But my last position was at JCPenney, which is a huge, huge company. Hmm. They have legacy programs that have lasted, you know, 20 years or something. So if you come in and you start working on that product, you have to make sure that it lives up to the quality expectations and the fit expectations. Like the person who's buying that product, they might buy five every year, only five every year, but they buy them at the very beginning of their work year or whenever it is. You know, like I need this pant. This is my go-to office pant. And they notice if something has changed and they will be, they're very verbal about it. So those kind of things you always have to keep an eye out for and make sure that you're not disappointing your customer by making things less expensive or cutting corners and they'll notice too because as you say that's their go-to pieces that they expect will be there that they will buy every year yes absolutely it is so funny we used to read these reviews for like men's underpants and they're like well the last pair I bought was 10 years ago and it's finally falling apart but I noticed the elastic is different this time what's up guys you're like well the last time I bought it was 10 years ago so but yeah we get comments like that and then of course it means you have to have a meeting Because you said that you're now, you're working more at home and you're freelancing. Yeah. What does that entail? Um, It's actually really nice to have the freedom to kind of choose the projects that I want to work on and figure out how much time commitment I have. Now that this pandemic is going on, I have very little time to 
put into anything professional at all because I'm working on school at home and, you know, my son is in kindergarten and my daughter is two and she's very attention hungry. So <laughs> by the time night comes around, I'm like falling on the sofa, like, oh God, please <laughs> let it be over. So there is time to do things from time to time, but I like it because it's given me a lot more freedom to choose different sorts of projects that I never would have before. That's really what I like so much about the home sewing world is that you're sewing really for one person and you can really figure out all those tweaks that you need. Working in a professional capacity, you're fitting for the average, the average of whatever that silo umbrella was that I mentioned. So, you know, you have your men's big and tall, but you have this idea in your head of this is our men's big and tall and this is what he wears and this is how tall he is. But it's so nice and freeing to be able to say, well, I can make this as custom as I want. You know, my left shoulder slope is totally different than my right. So I'm going to make the pattern that way. So it's freeing in a way. I really like it. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Oh yeah, it does. It does. When we were talking earlier, you wanted to cover the topic of true fit versus aesthetics. Right. So I think that they kind of go hand in hand. Right. And I know there are a lot of stand, I don't know what the right word is for this, kind of like the old guard of people who say, well, fit is its own thing and should be treated as its own thing. So, and it's all about mobility and it's all about functionality and making sure something looks a certain way on the body. But I also feel like when you're in something like home sewing, it works the same at the very beginning of the process. Mm -hmm. A designer comes in, designs it for who they think might be wearing it, but really you don't know. And you can only fit it for, you know, a certain amount of sizes before you run out of budget or whatever. So you put it out there and you hope that people can make their own adjustments and figure it out themselves. And you're putting out this idea of what you want the design to be. So your consumer at home is working on that same design and thinking, well, how do I achieve this for my body specifically? Yes. So that means you have to incorporate things like proportion for style details, whereas in ready-to-wear, a style detail will be handled only by the designer and not by the technical designer for the fit of it. So things like cuff height and collar height and pocket sizing, pocket placements, those are all put into the design side of things. But I feel like here they really are applicable because it makes all the difference to how the garment looks and how you feel when you wear it. Okay. So it's more a whole garment kind of thing. You know, okay. they say whole body wellness, you know, but it's about the whole garment. So in addition to can you fit your hand in the pocket, is it in the right place for your hand to comfortably fit in? But aesthetically, does the pocket actually look okay or is it a little bit too big or should it be a patch pocket instead? Little things like that that usually would be a design change, I feel like kind of go into that fit world because it's about making you feel the best in your garment and making you feel confident. Okay, so in a way it could be, let's say for a pocket, it looks great but it doesn't work because it's probably too small or like, is that what you're talking about as an example? Yeah. Okay, got it. Yes, exactly. Like when you watch Great British Bake Off and Paul Hollywood is like, that looks terrible, but it tastes delicious. You know, it, but it's about marrying those two things together. <laughs> so you find the happy medium. Yep. When you put together your blog posts for Socialist, how do you go about it? What's the process for you? When I was first asked to join the Socialist, I was just putting together kind of whatever idea I had. So there's a bunch that's just the Gabby's Fitting series or something. I think that's what it's called. 
and that was just kind of like, this is something that I want to opine on that I've had thoughts about for years. And now I finally have a platform for people to hear and respond back if they feel the same way. And then I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be funner if it turned into more of an advice column so people can, yes. you know, really write with a specific question for this. So I do get messages on Instagram and I get emails and comments on previous posts about people asking about certain things. Like there was a post not too long ago about sewing for scoliosis. And that was something that had come from a comment on my very, very first post when they were saying, oh, this is so cool that you guys are doing this. Can you talk about this? Okay. It's mostly about, you know, you want to crowdsource your problems and then mm. figure out where is the best way to get the information that you need. So I feel like I'm more of a resource a provider Yeah. in terms of here's a great book. I love this book. Here's this. You should try these videos. Because oftentimes those questions can be so niche that in order for them to be applicable for a wider audience, you kind of have to talk about it in a more vague mm. way. So you can't just go in and say, well, you want to raise your shoulder slope a quarter of an inch. Because, you know, not everybody needs to read that. But if you go in talking about, here are different kinds of shoulder issues that I have seen, then people will say, oh, okay, cool. This is a post just about shoulder. This is what my question was. Mm. And then hopefully you're answering to a broader audience what you think they want to know. And with the, with the amount of research that you put into the stories and then linking all of the references that people go to, they are really valuable for a home seller or any reader. I hope so. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, again, like if it's something that I've come across in my career, a blog or something that I've read for years, like the Kathleen Fascinella and her blog is Fashion Incubator. She has this fabulous blog, but I used to read it all the time in the year 2010. And I feel like it's still there and people should know about that kind of thing. So if there's something that I think is valuable, I'd for sure. It's of value to the socialist readers because they're always worthwhile referring back to. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad. Gabby, thank you so much for giving us some insights into your background and the work that you put into developing those blog posts for socialists. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming in and have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Socialist Tuesday on So Organised Style podcast was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Gabby Brown, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to So Organised Style podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Lipson, our podcast distributor. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our Instagram account or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>